I'm Marco Werman. This is The World. The Pentagon is preparing for the trial of professed 9-11 mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and four suspected co-conspirators in Guantanamo next month. But those men are not the only terror suspects awaiting their day in court after being held without trial for years. So is Babar Ahmed. He's accused of running websites that raised money for terrorists and supplying terrorists with gas masks and night vision goggles. The U.S. case against him can't proceed, though, unless Ahmed's extradited. He's a British citizen arrested in Britain in 2004 on a U.S. extradition warrant. He's been in jail in the U.K. ever since. Next week, the European Court of Human Rights is expected to decide if Ahmed can be extradited to the U.S. for trial. The BBC's Dominic Kashiani has just interviewed Babur Ahmed in prison. And Dominic, first of all, thanks for joining us and for explaining the story to us. It's a pleasure. Babar Ahmed says that he has been a victim of injustice. Uh, I want to start by uh, playing a clip from your interview with him in which he explains why he wanted to do this interview with you in the first place. I've been in prison now for nearly eight years without trial. I'm facing extradition to the U.S. and the rest of my life in solitary confinement. I've never been questioned about the allegations against me. I've never been shown the evidence against me. I think it's fair to say that I'm fighting for my life and I'm running out of time. Babar Ahmad speaking with Dominic Kashiani in the Long Larton Prison in England. So, Dominic, we should say that your conversation with Babar Ahmad was not an easy process. What did you have to do to be able to meet with him? Well, I had to take uh, two of our government ministers to court. Simple as that. It's mm. not something a journalist gets up in the morning expecting to do. Uh, more than a year ago, we, um, we put in an application to see this guy in prison. We believe there was strong public interest in hearing his story, he's now set a record for the amount of time he's spent inside. No British citizen who hasn't been convicted of a crime has spent as long in prison as Barbara Ahmed. And there's a growing concern in the UK about the extradition arrangements to the U- US. His case is clearly one of those which touches on that. So we asked to go and see him. We were told we couldn't go and see him, that we couldn't film an interview with him. And we challenged the UK's Ministry of Justice, which runs the prisons as equivalent of your federal prison service. And uh, our high court looked at the case and they they ruled in the BBC's favour. They said that our freedom of speech had been breached, that we should be allowed because of the public interest in his case and that people should get to see and hear Barbara Ahmed because of the legitimate public interest in what he has to say about how he's been treated and extradition in general to the United States. What are the specific allegations against Babar Ahmed? Well, he faces some very serious allegations, and I think it, this needs to be said at the outset. In 2004, he was arrested on a U.S. extradition warrant as he left his office in London. And the police who arrested him on behalf of the United States said that he would, he would be charged with four crimes, namely uh, providing material support to terrorism overseas, doing that through a website uh, conspiring to kill and money laundering for terrorism. Now, at the heart of these allegations is something called Azam.com. And in the late 90s, Azam.com was the first and only preeminent website in English if you were interested in the Mujahideen. And by that, I mean people who'd fought in Bosnia, people who were fighting in Chechnya, people who had connections to Afghanistan and what was going on there. If you were a Muslim who spoke English, if you were a Muslim in the West, the place you went for information was azam.com. And that was the website that Barbara Ahmed allegedly ran. 
Now, that's at the centre of these allegations. And the US said that he used that website to provide material support around the world over a number of years. And that's why they say they they want to prosecute him. Okay, let's play another clip from your interview uh, with Babar Ahmed in, in which he responds to those allegations. I absolutely reject any allegation that I have supported terrorism in any way, in any place, whether in Afghanistan or in Chechnya or any other part of the world. I believe terrorism to be wrong, and I believe the targeting and kill of innocent people to be wrong. They say that the Azam.com website was used to recruit young Muslims in the West for jihad. This is an extremely serious allegation, as you yourself said. I've never been questioned about this allegation. I've never been shown the evidence in relation to this allegation, and I've never been shown the case against me. So anyone can make any allegation that they want. But there is a process where if someone is sent to prison for years and years, he at least should know what is the case against him. He at least should be shown the evidence against him so that he is able to respond to it. And the right place for me to respond to these allegations is either in a court of law or in a formal police interview. So the United States uh, sees Babar Ahmed uh, as supporting terrorism. Ahmed rejects that. Dominic Kashiani, why has he been held for eight years without charge, though? Quite simply because his case has been so extremely complicated. I mean, it it started with the whole issue where he should be tried. Now, I mean, to bring it down simply, he says that the evidence against him was gathered in London when he was originally arrested by the Metropolitan Police Scotland Yard, our detectives here in London. He says that they amassed evidence from his house. There was a decision not to charge him in the UK. Now, he says that that evidence that was amassed at the time he was originally arrested was sent to the States so that the Americans could build a case against him. He's been battling against this, arguing he should be tried here. But secondly, his is one of six cases that's at the European Court of Human Rights. Now, the European Court is is our highest court, which decides on uh, the really, really big cases across the whole of the continent. And next week... It will rule on whether men like Baba Ahmed can be sent to the United States to potentially face life imprisonment in, in what European court has been told anyway are pretty harsh conditions. Now, that's been a very complicated issue for the courts because the court doesn't necessarily want to get involved in diplomatic extradition arrangements between individual countries. It believes it's there to protect rights in Europe. And the big issue it's got to deal with is whether the American constitution and the rights which are afforded to defendants under that constitution matches and is comparable to the European Convention of Human Rights, which protects people here. Now, Barbara Ahmed's lawyers say that the prison conditions he would face in the States are not comparable to conditions here, that we in Europe would never have a prison comparable to those in the States. Our prisons are much better, they say, and this is one of the issues they're wrestling with. So it sounds like his main concern is where he serves time and not necessarily whether he serves time, correct? Yeah, absolutely, because he, because at the heart of this is this issue about where where he feels he's going to get a better deal. Part of it, th- this, though, of course, is about the whole issue of what he can be charged with. Now, the complicated matter about Barbara Armour's case is he's not charged with anything simple like uh, membership of al-Qaeda, things like that. You know, he's charged with support of the Mujahideen and, and a global jihad. Well, what is that? How, you, how do you define that? And, and the courts in Britain have taken a slightly different view on this to the courts in America. I have seen cases where you've had men on comparable charges to Barbara Ahmed who have had a comparable background. For instance, Barbara Ahmed fought in Bosnia. He then went as an aid worker to Chechnya. People with comparable backgrounds who have been acquitted on allegations of being involved in extremism and jihad because our courts and our prosecutors have taken the view 
that that isn't necessarily the same as terrorism. Now, this is why Barber Ahmed says he doesn't support terrorism because he's, he, he obviously says that's, that, that's what his defence is. He hasn't necessarily engaged on the point about whether he was involved in the jihad. And I think that's because he's clearly concerned that if he, if he says he was involved in the jihad, he'd have a harder case in an American court. Right. Well, here's a final excerpt from, from your interview with Barber Ahmed, uh, Dominic, in which he uh, explains why he doesn't want to be extradited to the States. I face the rest of my life in solitary confinement and this is not an hypothetical scenario. There are people that have been 15 or 16 years in solitary confinement where they don't see any other human being. I, I don't know what effect it's going to have on my family. My parents find it difficult coming to visit me on a 12-hour round trip, and I'm here in the UK. There's no chance they're going to be able to go, go and visit me when I'm in the United States. And going to a foreign land where you don't know anyone, where you have nothing to do with and being far away from your family and loved ones, it's a, it's a nightmare that no one would wish on their worst enemy. Have you mentally prepared yourself for it? I don't think there's any way of mentally preparing yourself to spend the rest of your life in solitary confinement. Babar Ahmed, of course, uh, fearing uh, life in prison at ADX Florence, also known as the Alcatraz of the Rockies, where uh, the likes of Zacharias Massawi, who was involved in the 9-11 attacks, and Unabomber Ted Kaczynski are incarcerated. Um, Dominic Kashiani, I have to ask you, how big a fish is Babar Ahmed? Is he a Zacharias Massawi or a Unabomber? Well, I think that's the million-dollar question. I mean, he, he hasn't been charged with anything like a bomb plot as such. But the big question is how influential were the websites he's alleged to have run? And let's say, for argument's sake, if it is proven that he was running those websites, that would make him a very, very big fish because... Back in the day, back in the 1990s, when you had this idea of a global jihad developing and particularly that feeling of a a global Muslim brotherhood under attack, when that was developing in the UK, that was quite a small pool of people who were involved in it. And our security services struggled initially and then frantically after 9-11 to try and understand what was going on. Now, clearly the case against Barbara Ahmed made by the US is that he ran Azam.com and that website was right at the heart of the development of this, uh, this, this kind of jihadist ideology in the UK. And I think if it were proven that he w- did run that site, then he would be a very big fish indeed. When, when you listen to Babar Ahmed, it, it sounds like he speaks like an attorney. What impression did you come away with uh, of this man? I think I came away with a very mixed impression of him. He's 37 years old. Um, you know, I'm no spring chicken. He's two years younger than me, but he looks a lot, lot older. I mean, I'd, I'd put him about 50 if I didn't know enough about his background. He's a very, very clear thinker, and he has a very dominant personality in the room. And, and that made the interview something of a challenge because he clearly wanted to get his points out, and there were things he didn't necessarily want to talk about. We felt that when we were talking to him about points which he felt uncomfortable about, particularly around whether or not he ran Azam.com, that he got very defensive at that point. And I think he was trying to keep on his central message, which was, where should I be tried? I believe I should be tried in the UK. But he's had an awful long time to think about this stuff. You know, if you spent almost eight years in prison, you become very focused on your case. And I really got the impression that this is a man who's uh, effectively becoming grey with waiting for a decision. And, And he just really thought that this interview was his last chance, his last chance to get his story across. His family and his supporters on the outside have worked very, very hard on his behalf. He's clearly got a lot of people who believe that he does not deserve to be in prison and he doesn't deserve to go to the States. But uh, there's also a lot of personal sadness in there beyond what's happened over the years. He, he was married, he'd settled down, 
he and his wife decided to split because he felt that it was unfair on her to have her hanging around if he was going to potentially spend the rest of his life in America. I, I asked him what he would do if he was released and he didn't really have an answer. And I think that's probably because he's not quite sure if he ever will be released. The BBC's Home Affairs correspondent, Dominic Casciani, thanks very much for your time. Thank you.